Hello and welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast. This is Matt Bird, the founder and chief executive of Cinnamon Network International. I'm really excited today to have as my guest Dr. Vladimir Ubervolk from Moldova. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Hello, Matt, and greetings from Eastern Europe. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, well, I know leaders uh, who are listening to this podcast around the world are really fascinated to learn more about Moldova and the church you lead there called Light to the World Church. Um, so tell us, tell us a little bit about your country. I mean, Moldova is known to be one of the poorest countries uh, in Eastern Europe. Um, just tell us a little bit more about your history. Yeah, thank you for asking me. Actually, Moldova is the poorest country not only in Eastern Europe, but in Europe in general. <clears throat> but some people still think that Moldova is a cake, and it's not true. Uh, it's, a, it's a real country. It's not a fake country. It's a small country with a population of 3 million. It's a former part of the Soviet Union. And now it's sandwiched between Romania and Ukraine. Okay, <laughs> we can picture it. I can see where it yeah. is now. But it's yeah. part of the former Soviet Union. When did that end and, and how did it end? Yeah, in 1991, Soviet Union was collapsed and 15 countries uh, appeared in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. So um, uh, we have 15 independent countries now. Yeah. And Moldova is one of them. Yeah. And so tell us, what's your country... What are the what are the what's, what tell us about the assets of your country? What are the riches that it has? Actually, you're welcome to visit us, and all your listeners are welcome to visit Moldova. Uh, Moldova has a very good climate in terms of producing vegetables, fruits. It's, it's an agricultural country in the past, and it still produces very good fruits and vegetables with with real taste. So if you taste grapes, it means grape. If you taste tomato, it's tomato. It's not the same taste as in some parts of European Union now. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> and, taste. Yes. And we have, as I said, around 3 million of people who are hard workers, people who have hard for their families, but in the same time, they're challenged with poverty. Yeah. A friend of mine runs a big global tech company. And he has a big office in Moldova um, with yeah. some very skilled um, um, digital people. It's true. The IT sector is growing in Moldova. I just, I cannot explain how much in the last three, four years. Yeah, we, we have very, very good uh, Western companies who launched their offices in Moldova, their companies, and it's, it's works very good. Mm, amazing. So you uh, lead Light to the World Church. And tell us about your, your city and tell us about the church. Yeah, so I am placed in the capital city of Moldova, the city of Chisinau. Uh, it's the population of my city is around 1 million. And uh, uh, the main Christian group in Moldova is Christian Orthodoxy. I am pastoring of uh, an evangelical church. And it's, uh, it's around 300 people who attend our uh, weekend services. Uh, it's not a big church. In the same time, it's not a small church comparatively with other uh, evangelical congregations in my country. Yeah, amazing. Well, I do look forward to visiting you 
um, as ah, soon you're as welcome. COVID-19 travel permits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, when we first spoke, uh, Vladimir, I was inspired by the work your church does in the community. And uh, you have a project called Beginning of Life. And yep. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that, particularly tell us the history, because uh, I understand that initially you were working um, to prevent trafficking and supporting people who came out who were trafficked. Tell us more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, the project uh, Beginning of Life was um, established by my wife. Uh, her name is Yulia. And we got married in Christian University in St. Petersburg. And ah. when she moved to my city, she was uh, amazed how many women were exploited and how many women remained by themselves, were kicked out, rejected by their boyfriends, by their husbands, by their parents, because they were exploited in sexual way. So we started this ministry 20 years ago. And it grew from a small organization with one volunteer to a bigger organization with uh, around 30 people working for Beginning of Life today, helping to different vulnerable groups of people, including victims of human trafficking and including people from uh, the context of poverty. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to, in a few minutes, hear a story of perhaps one person's life who uh, you've seen transformed um, through your work. But um, you mentioned that uh, the face of human trafficking has changed in Eastern Europe. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, probably I will start with your second question. Yes. Uh, if we talk about the 90s or the beginning of this century, we can find the, um, that human trafficking had very brutal face, as in many movies or documentaries, which probably many people watched on TV or on the Internet where people were kidnapped, people were exploited in a very hard situation. They were beaten, they were raped, etc., etc. When we talk about uh, the second half, uh, maybe starting with 2014, 2014, and coming to this year, the face of human trafficking was tremendously changed. It's not uh, so brutal as it was before, but uh, today the traffickers and recruiters use a lot of psychological and social manipulation. Uh, people from Eastern Europe can get a free access to many European countries and they go there for a legal job. They yeah. have their passports, they have their visas, mm -hmm. they have working visas, and they are recruited inside of European Union for sex industry. And, and what is it that's changed about that uh, in recent years? Um, you know, what, what difference does it make being able to travel yeah. legally, as it were? Yeah, looking from a legal perspective, many actual victims of human trafficking, from a legal perspective, they look like voluntary prostitution. So it looks like that they went to sex industry by their own will. Because of, as I said, because of the psychological and social manipulation, from a legal perspective, they are prostitutes, they work, they're sex workers, they do what they do, getting some money yeah. by their own will. As yeah. before, many people were kidnapped. Yeah. Now, 
you can find just a few cases in a year when people are kidnapped from the streets yeah. and they were smuggled to European countries. Yeah, and that's largely because of the opening of borders and the fact that people can travel legally between neighboring countries. Mainly, yes, first. And second, because um, maybe from 2005, 2006, there was a huge campaign started by International Organization for Migration, by the UN, and many, many big agencies, which uh, erased this, con- uh, this question. They made awareness campaign in Europe, and many European uh, states, many European countries, launched the police department, anti-trafficking police department. So I can say that these two different, uh, two different points. First, that the borders are open. Second, because the police is investigating this issue much, much closer than it was before. Mm. Amazing. Could, and could you tell us a story of one person? I mean, I know you've helped so many, but one yeah. person you've helped that's been caught in trafficking, human trafficking. Yeah, sure. Uh, in my country, many, many girls, young girls, when I say young girls, I mean girls of 16, 15, 17 years of age, are exploited in their own villages and in many cases by their own relatives. Gosh. And uh, yes, uh, because, because people live in these horrible situations they're addicted from alcohol uh, i can tell you many cases but just one story which you asked me to share yes. when a girl was sold by her mother for two bottles of vodka because she was oh. i mean staying at her home being drunk and she wanted more and just neighbors came in and she, they she asked give me please bottle of vodka and they said okay you give me our your daughter and we will give you a bottle of vodka that's it the deal was oh, made shocking. And, uh, and after that she revealed how easy to to get easy i mean in you, you understand it's not easy it's hard it's horrible but yes. how easy she can get she can earn money for alcohol yeah. and she began to sell her daughter to to the neighbors in her village Sometimes even to to cousins, to to relatives, to I mean to people whom she knew from her childhood, mm. yeah, for her classmates, etc., oh. etc. Et and the girl was raped first time when she was twelve, and until until sixteen she was used, I mean, hundreds of times, and then she was sent by uh, social services. Uh, social services revealed this situation, and they sent her to an orphanage and from an orphanage to our center and she got through she 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 came to us and she went through the program of rehabilitation for two years because the trauma was so deep the yes. pain was so huge that she spent two years with us and after that she i can say successfully got um, um reintegrated into society now she's married, she has a daughter, and she has a job, stable job. But I can tell you that the trauma is not recovered completely. She still needs treatment. Once in a year, she needs special treatment, special psychological support, etc., etc. So it's not so easy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and your ministry uh, amongst women like that, that have the girls like that, that have been um, sold um, mm-hmm. you know this has changed over the years and now you're focused on 
helping people of all uh, uh, situations who are at risk. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about the focus of, uh, of your church's work today in the community. Yeah, today our focus is uh, mainly on for two groups of people. First group is single mothers, uh, girls and women who are rejected by their family. And for many of them, the only way to survive is to sell themselves because the welfare from the government is very small. As I said, they're rejected by their families and they stay at home with small infants. So they need some somehow to, to earn money. So we train them, we give them uh, jobs, the jobs which are, can be, um, I mean, can, they can fit in their situation. Yeah. So th- this is first. Second, we uh, help them to raise their children and to educate them in a proper way. And second group of people is vulnerable teenagers, teenagers from poor family who are at risk from broken families where parents are addicted from, I mean, different addictions. Yes. Not only alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So you say you give, uh, you provide jobs. Um, So do you employ lots of people or do you give people an enterprise opportunity to create their own opportunity to run a small business? Both. And you can add one more point. We have agreements with some actual businesses, with some business people who employ them. Yes. Second, we provide some jobs. As as NGO, we started two social uh, businesses and we help to, to the vulnerable people to get these jobs. And third, for some of them, yes, they started their own small enterprises. <clears throat> Not many, but yes, there are a few. Yeah. It's amazing work that your church is doing through your NGO. It's absolutely Thank incredible. You. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much. And could you tell us, just, I love the stories, could you tell us a story of, a, of somebody who you've helped either into a employment or into an enterprise or into a, a, a business locally? Yeah, sure. Just today I had a conversation with my, one of my co-workers and he told me a story of one boy whom I remember came from a broken family. Uh, when we met him, he was 14. Yes. He, was a, he was not uh, raised on the street, but he spent all his time on the streets. The only way for him was to go to the criminal world. You know, It was the only option for him at that day. It was uh, eight years ago. Now, so because of our intervention... So we helped, we trained him. After that, he went to a university, he graduated, and he started his own grocery store, small business, but he runs two stores today wow. in the capital city of my country. Yes, I, I was surprised by this very fresh story. Mm. He just started, but successfully. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, so... Um, Vladimir, you have so much experience in this kind of work. Um, what, what three pieces of practical advice would you give church leaders listening who are wanting to, be, uh, to help their churches be greater agents of change and transformation in their local mm. communities? What, what three pieces of practical advice would you offer them from your experience and expertise? Yeah. I think that the first point is to search the data to understand what are the most needs 
in social sphere, in social area in my city, in my neighborhood, in my country. We need to get all the figures. We need to get all the data as much as possible. Because sometimes the churches think that they know the reality because they live in this country. Uh, Very often we live behind the walls. So first, to to understand the picture, we need the figures, we need the data. Who are the most vulnerable people? Second is to educate our churches to be open for new people, for people who are not like us, and to start special projects for these people. Volunteer for these people. We need theological, biblical foundation, very solid, very... A profound foundation to, for this ministry. And yeah, really we, we all to... struggle, don't we, with people unlike us. We're naturally like attracts like, and we're, we're drawn to people that are similar to us. Um, but yes. actually learning to build relationships with people unlike us, it takes a lot more effort. Um, of course. And a lot more time. So I, I, really, I think that's really profound. So, yes, yeah, so data, uh, get the insights of where the greatest needs are, educate the church about... Um, welcoming and befriending people who are unlike them. I'm sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. Your third point? No problem. And to start from the intersection of these two uh, points from a small, something small. Okay. Very, very often we, we see big projects. We see big campaigns. We know how UN works. We know mega churches. And we say, if I would have so much money, so many volunteers, etc., etc., I would start. No. Start with one person. Start yeah. with one volunteer. Start with one, one, one uh, beneficiary. Start with one dollar in your, in your pocket. Or pounds, or doesn't matter. Euro, doesn't matter. So start with just something very small. Mm. And then God will grow if you uh, will be obedient to his will. Mm. Amazing. Three wonderfully practical pieces of advice. And I love that third one as well. About, you know, often I, I hear people, well, I'm writing a plan. I'm raising money. Um, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But they're not actually doing it. And, and mm-hmm. I think starting with what God has already put in your hands and starting yeah. small and allowing it to grow is, uh, is, is so simple, but so, so profound. Um, Vladimir, it's been an absolute privilege uh, to have you as my guest today on the Talking Transformation podcast. Um, I, I want to pray uh, God's blessing upon Moldova and uh, your church, Light to the World Church, and, uh, and this ministry uh, of yours in, in the local community and the lives that you're seeing transformed. Thank you so much for being with us. And Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you. I look forward to visiting you. You're welcome. Goodbye for now.